in my middle school yearbook, there's a picture of me with white pants so short, I mean with pants so short, you could see the bands in the top of my white socks, both of which were very uncool. I didn't have an older brother. I could have used an older brother, Jeff Jarvis, down the street, had to point out to me, he says, Mike, no, this is not cool. Um, the Israelites are our spiritual brothers and sisters, our older brothers and sisters, they went first. And we can learn from them. And when we stoop down to examine their path through the wilderness, we, found, we find evidence of resistance, heel marks in the sand. Why? Why is that? That's what we're going to talk about. We notice a couple of things. Um, notice that there was disappointment. It says the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sinai, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? Notice a couple things relative to disappointment, grumbling and testing. It says grumbling, the people quarreled, grumbled with Moses, give us water to drink. Their issue was with God, not with Moses. However, they grumbled against Moses. God was the one who was leading them, though. And Moses pointed out that grumbling and testing kind of go together. It says, why do you quarrel with me? That's horizontal. Why do you grumble? Why do you put the Lord your God to the test? Testing begins with doubts about someone's trustworthiness. What testing is, it's the attempt to determine the faithfulness of a partner or colleague who is under suspicion. You don't know whether they're really worthy of trust or not. And testing begins with that sense of, I don't know if I can trust this person. And then when we test, a test is we ask someone, in this case, God, to prove he's worthy of trust. Now, in the wilderness, God consistently proved his faithfulness. However, all the miracles were not enough to soften the hearts of the Israelites. Forty years of miracles, and it still didn't crack a hard heart. We tend to think that my problem is that I don't know God's will. If I knew God's will, I would do it. I'm confused about his will. And the Israelites, they had no problem knowing the will of God. That wasn't the problem. They knew the will of God. The problem was liking the will of God, because here's the way it worked. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by night and day. When the cloud moved, they moved. When the cloud stopped, they, it, they stopped. If it moved during the night, no problem, became a pillar of fire. What is the will of God? Simple. It's where the cloud leads us. Here's a problem, though. What do you do when the cloud stops in a place where you don't have what you need, in a, in a disappointing place? What's more so, what do you do 
when there's wave after wave of disappointment. It's not just one singular event, but it's a wave after wave after wave of disappointment. Uh, chronic difficulty and disappointment lead to discouragement. And this is what the letter of the person writing the letter to the Hebrews warns about discouragement. Look what it says. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. He warns against a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from God. It's when God's let's do this is met by no. The idea here, it seems to be a warning against a general lack of readiness that comes to a place when God says do this and the people aren't ready to respond positively. They say no. It seems to be about a general pattern of thinking that leads to a specific instance of disobedience. So God just kind of leading, he says, do this, and they are in a place they said, no, I'm not going to do that. This kind of turning away from God, it doesn't happen overnight. It, it, Jeremiah kind of points some things out. He says, these wicked people, who refuse to listen to my words, who follow the stubbornness of their hearts and go after other gods to serve and worship them. Going after other gods to serve and worship them, that is turning away from God. But look at it, it didn't start there. Going after other gods and serving and worship them was preceded by a couple of things. It says they, in the beginning, it says they refuse to listen to my words. They refuse to listen to his words. And then it says, and they follow the stubbornness of their hearts. And then they went and served and worshiped other gods. We can put it this way. They tuned God out. They tuned themselves in. And then they turned from God. Well, here's the way it works. Tune out. Tune in turn from. doesn't happen right away. It begins with tuning out, not listening, not paying attention. And because they're not focusing on what he's saying, they start to focus on themselves. They tune into themselves and that leads them to make choices that they wish they had made. Discouragement doesn't just promote vertical disconnection this way. It also, discourage also promotes horizontal disconnection. Uh, what it says and Hebrews says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. They became discouraged and not only did they tune out and tune in and turn from, they distanced themselves from one another. As long as things were going well, this lack of encouragement and fellowship 
probably was okay. The problem is when difficult days came and there wasn't the ability to be encouraged by others, that became a problem. We really don't need fellowship when everything is going well. When everything is not going well, that was a different story. When dark days came, the lack of encouragement became critical. I think we can make a case that we can start well spiritually without encouragement. I don't think we can finish well without it. We can start well without it. I think we can finish well without it. That's what we find with the Israelites. It says, remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison, joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property, because you yourself know you had better possessions. Early on, these Jewish believers were responsive to God's will. Early on, they experienced a unity that was very powerful. People were selling their goods as people had need. They were all coming together in Jerusalem, and they were walking together, and then they were forced out of Jerusalem into the Roman Empire, bereft of livelihood and neighborhood, things things didn't go well. Um, they met with house churches, and some started to drift away from meeting together. Um, I spent, um, it had been about 20 years ago now, that I spent a couple years on a sabbatical in China, and at that time it was illegal for Christians to be able to meet except in those churches that the governments identified as this is acceptable. So, and it was, it was against the law to meet in churches. So when I was speaking at church meetings and stuff like that, Chinese had to filter in one by one, two by two. They had to kind of go because it wasn't allowed. Now it's in these days and that, that church is allowed to meet, but it was really interesting when it was in a context where they really needed one another, the sense of the fellowship, the encouragement that they provided there was, was very deep. It was something I'll never forget, being in those meetings. And interestingly, I talked to a couple, and they now in China, you can meet together. And, and I was talking to this couple, and they lead a church, and they're saying that, you know what, when we gather together now, we tend to speak about nice things. We don't tend to talk about the pain we used to talk about and our sense of connection and fellowship in this day, these days, is not as deep. It's, it's interesting. That's what ended up happening over the time. These, the devotion of these first Jewish Christians wore down and their motivation faded. Again, they dealt with a lot of things moving out of there. But look what it says. It says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. 
Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. As time went on, they became, these early Jewish Christians, they became discouraged. They experienced chronic difficulty. And they did two things with this. Some made light of it. You know what you do when you make light of something? You just treat it as if it's not a big deal. They were suffering, but they said, how are you doing? I'm fine. I'm fine. Some made light of it. Some lost heart. They were dealing with difficult things, and they were crushed. They, they said, I, I can't do this anymore. They thought that God was punishing them. That happens when we find ourselves in not only disappointing places, but when chronic disappointment, where it's a problem at work turns to a problem with health, turns to a problem with somebody in the family. And one thing after another, um, they felt that God was punishing them. We've talked about this before. It talks about discipline. And there is a difference biblically between discipline and punishment. It, it says in this context that uh, he punishes everyone except, but the word for punishment, that's, that's a severe kind of discipline. It's a painful thing, but there is a difference between punishment and discipline. The focus of punishment and discipline is different. The focus of punishment is on the past. When I'm going to punish you for something, I'm thinking of something you did, and I'm going to balance the scales of justice and get even with you. That's not The focus of punishment is on the past. The focus of discipline is on the future, when it's correct. The word discipline in the Bible literally is from two Greek words, meaning to be with a child. And the idea of discipline is to be with a child and to create opportunities for the child to be able to learn something that will allow them to do something right in the future. See, the focus of punishment is on the past. The focus of discipline is on the future, to bring about circumstances so that the child can do what will be best for the child. And the motive of discipline and punishment is very different. The motive of punishment, the focus is on the past, and the motive is anger or justice or wrath. It's getting even. Discipline, it's not the motive. The motive, the focus of discipline is on the future. And the motive of discipline is love, not anger. When we walk into difficult circumstances, and even worse, when wave after wave of circumstances, how can we strengthen our hearts so that we can continue to walk on the road truly best for us? How can we strengthen our hearts so that our hearts don't become hard and unresponsive that leads to grumbling and testing? Here's what the passage says. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but, and here's the command, encourage one another. And look look at the impact of encouragement. It says, encourage one another daily, as long as, as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. It suggests that the remedy for 
A hard heart is mutual encouragement. Encourage one another daily. Apparently, we need to walk with one another in order to keep our hearts from becoming hard, in order to keep our hearts in a responsive place. It says we have come to share in Christ if we hold firm till the end the confidence we had at first. I'm going to throw up a definition of encouragement. It comes from two Greek words. One, the word from, and the other, the word, I mean, excuse me, alongside. The first word, it's alongside, and the second word is call. Encouragement literally is calling alongside. And in terms of a definition, to encourage someone is to come alongside in order to influence them to remain on the road truly best for them. Encouragement is calling someone alongside and influencing them to remain on the road that's truly best for them. There's a difference between accountability and encouragement. Accountability tends to be face-to-face and more analytical. I'm standing in front of you, and I am, I, I'm identifying what you're doing right or wrong, and encouragement is not... Encouragement is not that. Encouragement is alongside. It's when I come alongside someone and influence them to stay on the road that's truly best for them. I've told this story before, but I really like it because it creates an image, I think, of the way encouragement works. There was a restaurant located along a mountain trail, and groups of hikers would stop at this restaurant and fuel up for the remainder of their trip up the mountain. And uh, the owner of the restaurant observed a pattern over the years. When the meal was over and people started to gather their things, some would decide to stay behind and wait for their friends to complete the journey. And so part of the party would suit up and start their ascent, and the others would kind of remain where they were. And um, when the friends took off, and this is what the leader of this, this, the owner of this restaurant observed over the years. Initially, the mood was happy and boisterous. Give me another drink and exec. And, we, and then as the, as the morning and the afternoon wore on, what the restaurant odor, owner observed, frequent trips to the window. It wasn't quite as boisterous. People would kind of wander over to the window and, and look up at the mountain. And at that point, they, what they're thinking is, I should have gone with them. I should have stayed on the road. I want you to imagine a group at this restaurant. And some of the group is getting ready to return their climb. And another group is, is kind of is, is getting ready to stay. The restaurant owner approaches the table and says, can I just tell you something? Let me tell you what I've seen over the years. Sometimes hikers decide not to complete the trek. They regret it later. And what I've seen, they end up staring at the window. I just wanted you to know, in case some of you were thinking of remaining behind. You know what that person would be called? That restaurant owner? That's an encourager. That's what an encourager does. 
An encourager is one who comes alongside and influences another to remain on the road truly best for them. Where do we connect with divine encouragement? We don't always need it, but when things are difficult, when we're facing disappointment after disappointment, then we really need it. Where do we encourage it? The Bible says a couple of things. We talked last week, and to reiterate, we looked at the, the importance of Scripture and specifically promises. Is what it says. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Here's the part. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. We looked at it last week. This is a very interesting passage that suggests that God's glory and goodness cause him to provide great and precious promises. And through these promises, we participate in the divine nature, not just imitate it, participate it. We experience a power and an ability that is not natural, that is not human. And that comes from his very great and precious promises. So it allows us to participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. If I guess what we said, and we talked about it last week, if you want to do the do's and not do the don'ts, promises are the thing. It, we put our faith in the promises. What it says is, look at, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And it brings a list of qualities here and goodness, knowledge, so knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. This comes from the foundation of faith. When our faith is in God's promises, these are the things that get added. And look at the final verse. We've looked at this last week. We're not going to spend much time, but it, it's worth repeating. It says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, goodness, perseverance, self-control, that's a good list. It says, if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind, and has forgotten that he's been cleansed from his past sins. And what we looked at, believing in God's promise of forgiveness, Foundational. Foundational. With that foundation in place, you can add to faith, goodness, and but without that foundation, promises are especially significant. And that's why don't just focus on his commandments, focus on his commitments, focus on his promises. We talked about it. If there's something that you were to do on a daily basis, I mean, even if you didn't do it every day, but an encouragement would be set aside time regularly to think about his promises. If you haven't been through the Ten Commitments, go through them. That, that's a, a, it's another way you say, why should I do that? Because that is the way it provides us with encouragement. And especially when the chips are down, it's when we need encouragement. And kind of, encouragement's one of those things is you can't wait till you need it to get it. You can't wait till you need it to get it. When the crisis comes, that's not the time that you're going to tune him in. 
It, it's, it's, it's now, it's when the crisis doesn't come that, that we develop a habit of being aware of things that will become encouraging. And promise is one of those things. And so that's an encouragement. It's not a big bony finger, but it is an encouragement. Some kind of regular regimen in the morning, get a promise from God and just think about it and have another one. And Ten Commitments can be one of those things. Um, promises in specific, but Scripture in general, look what it says. Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we may have hope. What this is describing is what's written in the Bible, not just promises, but everything. Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. What we're going to find is that encouragement allows us to endure. It allows us to stay on the road truly best for us. And Scripture, the stories in the Bible, that's their intent, is to create this awareness that if I can keep going, if I just keep on the road truly best, I will land in a good place. That's what Scripture can teach us. But it's not just the words of God that provide encouragement. There's a passage that talks about the people of God. Look what this passage says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort. That word encouragement is the word, that word comfort, excuse me, is the word encouragement. It comes from that para, call alongside, parakleo. That's, so it says, God is the father of compassion and the God of all encouragement. Here's the thing. What is God like? What's God like? And this is a succinct statement. So if you learn something about God this morning, this is it. He's the father of compassion. And he's the God of encouragement. When you experience somebody encouraging, and who do you think of when you think of somebody encouraging? Think about somebody encouraging. You might be able to think of somebody who came alongside, enabled you to keep going. What was it about that person? You know what it's suggesting? When you think about that person, what I want you to... God is like that. What God does, it's not just, oh, they're there. Because somebody who's encouraging is not necessarily comforting. That's why I don't like the word comfort. It's not the right word here. The word is encourage. It's somebody, you know, remember what encouragement is. It's calling someone alongside to help them stay on the road that's truly best for them. And when you encourage somebody, it might be some comfort. Boy, it's really a tough road. But it doesn't stop at comfort. It's, I'll tell you what, I know we have to go from point A to point B. How about if I go with you? That's encouragement. That's encouragement. God is the father of compassion and the God of all encouragement. If, if you've been encouraged, ultimately that comes from him because that's what he's like. He tells us things that allow us to stay on the road. That's what he does. Um, so here's a question. 
What does it take to be an encourager? It says, God comforts those. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. God is the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others with the comfort we receive from Him. You know what God does in order to encourage them? He calls us into difficult places and comforts and encourages us in these places so that we can keep on the road truly best. You know what we end up learning and experiencing? We end up experiencing encouragement. I want you to think about a time when you were really, you might have been not just disappointed, but discouraged. And someone who came alongside, you think of that person, they said something and they reflected God to you. See, it's not just the word of God, it's the people of God. Somebody came alongside and cared for you. Remember that person? You know what I bet? And if you think about it, that person helped you stay on the road. And you know what God does? He causes that to happen so that now some of you, if you've been dipped through difficult things, you had something real to give someone. You know what it's like to struggle. And you struggle not because God isn't with you. You struggle because He is with you. And what He does, He stays with you when He walks alongside and He encourages you. And you know what you can do with that encouragement? You can walk alongside somebody else and on behalf of God, you can encourage them. That's how it works with God. He channels His encouragement interpersonally to and through you. The problem is, if you're going to be a person who has some encouragement to give someone, you've had to walk a difficult road. There's been times where you've been discouraged. You cannot encourage deeply if you haven't suffered. I wish that wasn't so. But it seems to be what this passage is indicating. Um, what does it take to be an encourager? It takes difficulties, and, and it takes one another. It takes one another. I guess when things are okay, it might be possible to walk alone. But if you're going to not just start well, but finish well, cultivate a connection. And again, have people you go to that can walk alongside. Because encouragement is necessary when we come into discouraged, disappointing places, which we all will. Let's stand for closing prayer. really like thinking about that, God. I don't like thinking about difficulties, but that you are the Father of compassion and the God of all encouragement. Any encouragement we've received, a letter, a call, a visit, a knock on the door, a, come on, let's go out for lunch. Anything we've received, 
somebody coming alongside, not holding us accountable, encouraging us. I know it's hard, but I think you're going to be better off. Let's, let me, how can I help? Let's walk together. Let me give you a call. How about if I call you then? Anything like that, that comes from you. That's what you do. That's what you're really good at. God, if we're in a place that, that, that we're struggling, I pray that, that you would, I know what you want to do. You want to encourage us. I pray that we encourage one another, draw encouragement from your words and your people, so that we can be encouraged and have something to give someone else. In Jesus' name, amen.